Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation. Welcome back to the Collective Scope Podcast here back in the studio. I, I'm glad now, too, for two weeks we did not have each other. Then we were back with Rebecca Lines. But my buddy Rob Fultz is back at the table with me. How about that? How about that? How about that? We are joined <laughs> by a new friend, Luke Lazan. Luke is a pastor, author, church planner, and a dynamic communicator. Wrote a Beck book, not a Beck, he wrote a book called Your Mess Matters. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, but but really... It's kind of like this show. is a hot it's, mess It's today. a hot mess today. It's been a hot mess since we got in the studio, it I can tell you that. Mess. But let's welcome Luke to the show. <laughs> and uh, welcome to the show, Luke. And we'll try not to make a mess of this. So how are you doing, man? Oh, man, I'm doing great. It's great to have both of y'all on here and uh, to be able to jump in on this. This is, this is going to be fun, I can tell already. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So I want to start with an interesting question because you, you're a self-proclaimed sort of coffee connoisseur and oh, shoot. Uh, Rob and I are more, <laughs> more caffeine junkies than coffee connoisseurs. Yeah. We just drink it all day long. 7-Eleven, <laughs> Dunkin, Donuts. Dunkin Donuts, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the coffee shop on campus. If it's the black, I drink office. it. Yeah, so what's, what's the, the caffeinated drink of choice for Luke? I'm not super picky. I'm, I'm like you. I'm black. I got to take everything black, mostly because my wife was saying all the creamer I was drinking at one point was giving me some extra stuffing. So <laughs> I, uh, I, w- I went all black on the coffee. But if you just give me a pour over from your best local coffee house in your city, I'm a happy man. So well, the next simple. time you're, next time you're in Cleveland, we're going to do that. We have a couple of really good places here that yeah. serve really nice pour overs. So I'm a big pour over fan myself. You probably even pay. I'll I'll even pay. <laughs> oh well, see, I wasn't going to go unless you paid. So that's good news. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> we got a great deal. There. We got an awesome deal. Jeff so. says the same thing usually. <laughs> yeah, it's usually how it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so you're an A and M guy from Texas. Yes. Right? So yes. is it go Aggies, not hook 'em horns? Right. Yeah. No, gig 'em. That's what we're all about. No, uh, no hook 'em horns over here. But you know gotcha. what's funny? Uh, you guys are in Tennessee, so I I have a very distorted SEC background. I started at the University of Arkansas, graduated from Texas A and M, but I'm a diehard Tennessee Volunteers fan. How so, about wow. that? It's crazy. My dad went to Tennessee. We didn't have options growing up. If you want to eat, you got to bleed orange. So it's, uh, it's, it's a distorted life, but it's one, uh, it, it chose me. I didn't choose it clearly. Was, was yeah. that sort of the uh, impetus behind the book? You know, the mess? <laughs> I mean, <is> that- <laughs> golly, I mean, especially after the first two games this year, you'd have thought so, but, uh, hopefully we can carry over what we finished this year. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but my word, it's a whole decade worth of stories for that. Yes, it is. Listen, I, I'm a University of Illinois fan, so don't I know struggle like I, like <laughs> I understand struggle. Yes. So, so but but that being said, a, an A and M graduate, and you went to University of Arkansas. Um, how does a guy from a state college end up with sensing this call to ministry? It's crazy, man. So if you, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Texas A and M or College Station, but there's a ministry on the campus of Texas A and M called Breakaway. And Breakaway is insane. When I first stepped foot on the campus of Texas A&M, I was hearing about this ministry that people literally chose this university because of it uh, over. And so 
I went to check it out. The very first gathering they did, it is in the basketball arena, in Reed Arena, and it's full of college students that are there to hear the gospel. Uh, And the guy that was leading it at the time uh, was a guy that some people may have heard of. His name's Ben Stewart. uh, And he leads Passion City DC now and is a part of the Passion City house. And so uh, just by some crazy circumstances, just got into all that and felt like, wow, I'm going to school to be a nurse anesthetist right now. And I really just kind of want to make a lot of money and live in New York City. Uh, but slowly but surely, God started chipping away at my heart that uh, he had he had a different direction for my life. And so uh, ministry started to be the call. The the pay grade started to steeply decrease in my call and, uh, <laughs> you know, jumped into ministry kind of full force. That's awesome. So like right out of college, typically, well, typically the pattern isn't your first stop is a church plant. So but right after you graduated, you did a church plant in Arkansas. Yeah. Right. And so kind of kind of walk us through sort of that whole process as well of of, you know, actually not coming from a school of ministry, kind of like we have here, but but coming from a state school and uh, really stepping out into that to that world of church planning. What was that like? It it was wild because, you know, to kind of put everything together, uh, my wife and I, we have a real millennial love story. We met on Twitter. Uh, and so through some crazy circumstances, we end up falling in love. Uh, and, and she, you know, she's hitting me up. She just wants me. There's nothing we can do about it. So we have to press forward with that. And <laughs> so, uh, I was, my parents were living in Fayetteville, Arkansas, still are, uh, cause my dad sells products in the Walmart. And so Walmart's all up there. And so we're getting marriage counseling from a guy, uh, that, that they know at a church there. And he just starts asking about, if I feel called to ministry, I'm telling him yes. And he's like, well, I'm planting a church. Do you want a job? And I was like, not only do I want one, I need one. Uh, and, and so we started really rolling through with that. And it, it's crazy, man, because it is not normal. Uh, I've even talked to a, you guys, boy, Noah Heron about this. Um, just off the bat, I was an associate pastor at a church plant. Uh, right. So I kind of skipped the youth stuff and he was just throwing me to the to the freaking lions, man. It was like, Hey, get up there. I'm tired. You're preaching to the congregation. I'm like, so here's the thing. I've been following the Lord fewer years than like, like these people have been alive longer than I've been following God, you know? So, uh, but he made, he made me jump into it and it was terrifying. It was uh, sanctifying, but it was all the things that I needed in order to, to be where I'm at right now. I just had no idea. So it was a, jumping into the deep end to say the least, um, right off the bat. That's cool. And I, I know for Jeff and I both, we're both actually church planters. Um, yeah, I've been in pastoral ministry for 20 plus years. Jeff has been as well. We're both church planters. So we get sort of that tension mm-hmm. that, that you're talking about and, and living with that. Um, but I think it's an interesting concept to follow. Um, if you follow anything in the church planning, church revitalization world, uh, we're getting more and more students out of non-traditional um, schools of ministry, you know, stepping out and planning churches, starting ministries, nonprofits, 501c3s, whatever you want to label. But but it's kind of an interesting trend uh, to follow. And so uh, do you have any sort of insight into that from your experience or your conversations that you've been having with, with yeah. students and with young adults? You know, 
this this argument or i wouldn't say argument conversation really is twofold um on one hand you want you want students to be like equipped to do the things that they're doing right like we're there used to be a time where you had to get the proper education and do certain things in order to go and then do the church plant preach all those kinds of things but we're living in an era where like you can do you can start anything from your cell phone uh you know people are asking you to come speak at things simply because you have a certain amount of followers online. Like there's exactly, there's not a whole lot of like justification or even uh, sifting through like, should this person be up here? Or are we just having them do this? Um, so I think a lot of people, they can start a 501 C three. They can get pretty much all the way through the process on their cell phone within a few days if they need to. And they're just, they're feeling the passion of, I feel called to do this. I'm going to start doing it right now. Uh, in some aspects, that's a great thing. Like that you can, you can get things done pretty quickly, but uh, I would also say there's a whole other side to that, that my generation needs to be aware of and that that's not always a great thing. You're not necessarily learning from anybody being mentored by anybody, have any clue what you're jumping into, even if you feel called to it. Uh, there are reasons why this process takes a little bit, but I think simply for the fact that people have, the ability to do it, they do it. Uh, and, and they feel called to it. So it's a, it's a little, it's great. And it's scary at the same time. Yeah. Look, it's interesting. We, we talked about a couple of people that would be to, to borrow a word from a previous generation, maybe contemporaries of yours. Uh, yeah. you mentioned Noah Heron. and he's a local guy who has, has that big social following is doing good work here with a young adult ministry. A friend of ours, we talked to Carson case, similar has like 30,000 Twitter followers. Um, we, we ran into somebody at Passion, uh, My Unique, who yeah. uh, has Instagram for believers. Shout out to My Unique. We told her we'd do that eventually. Yeah, um, 65,000 I don't know, followers? something ridiculous. Yeah. So what's, what sort of could you tell a, maybe us or, or older leaders who recognize people have a platform, how do we, how do we verify or vet their their ability really to preach and teach and to bring something to the table? I think the answer has been and always will be discipleship. Uh, for, for a lot of these individuals that you're vetting, a lot of problems, and this is a multi-generational issue, is that uh, we, we like to take part of the Great Commission and like cut it in half, you know, especially my generation, yeah. I would say, is we're like, if I ask people what's the Great Commission, they would say, go and preach to all the nations, but there's a second half to that. And it's like, and make disciples of all nations. And so the thing that's been best for me is a lot of the opportunities that I've gotten and frustrations that I've run into are because the guys that are discipling me are, are really talking to their friends about this guy's ready. He's not ready. He's ready. He's not ready for this, for that, for this, for that. Uh, interestingly, you know, I know my unique, uh, more recently, I met her in August, Carson and Noah, I've known for like years. Uh, and the thing I'll say about those guys that I know is that they've got older men in their lives that are not just vetting them to see if they're ready for a position, but they're pouring in, into them to make sure that they're ready for the positions that that's they're good. given. Uh, and that's discipleship. And at the same time, we're all very young. Uh, and we're leading things now to where you're starting to find out, um, can they build something? Can they sustain something? Are, you'll find out if someone's egocentric pretty quick. 
Um, and the thing I'd say about even myself and my generation is, uh, you know, this is a, this is a long journey. Uh, this is a long journey and we're not very many years into it. And it'll be really interesting to see like, are you developing the character in order to maintain uh, these positions of leadership uh, for the long haul? And I know in my life, I'm not going to make it outside of solid older guys in my life uh, that are willing to call me out on my stuff. And I mean, really call me out, you know, um, grab me by the collar and, and shake me free of some things that I'm thinking about myself, my marriage, things like that. But then also guys that'll encourage me in hard seasons. And so uh, that's what I would say to that. Uh, I know discipleship's a little bit of an old school thought process, but um, I think it's, it's on the come up. Yeah. I, and I love the, your point towards the character conversation. I think there's two critical pieces of that, that the biblical mandate has never eroded or disappeared to make disciples right right um the the call for for the character has never been stronger than it i think what the culture in which we live i think our character not only as believers in christ but as leaders as pastors as whatever mm -hmm. is the distinguishing factor between us and the rest of the world and so i know we we like to flirt with conversations about what it means to be relevant or connected or accessible or have the ability to communicate well with a generation. I, I think all of those things are, are critical conversations to have. But at the end of the day, I don't think uh, your calling will go as far as your character. Your calling will only go as far as your character can take you. Right. And I right. think, and I think about Ephesians and I think about all these, you know, we, we love to preach and teach about, all the great things that God has called us to do. And I truly believe that I don't, I think most people, I can probably count on one hand, the number of individuals I've met in my lifetime who I would say, yeah, they might have done everything God called them to do. Right. Maybe. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so I believe that, I believe that wholeheartedly that, that there's an aspect to that truth that we have no idea the greatness that God has put inside each and every single one of us. Um, I was at a leadership venue the other day, just doing some leadership training. And I remember a sign um, that I saw once that said, uh, greatness comes at a cost. Have you made yep. a payment today? Yeah. Right. And I think, I think those character building really conversations, it's not that they're not happening. It's just that those things don't exist on the platform of social media and social notoriety that, that a lot of the people that we know and we talk to have. Right. Um, and I, you're right. Noah does have a lot of older uh, mentors in his life speaking into the, I know who those are, yeah. um, you know, so I, people like that, that are being character developed. But I think from a university standpoint, from a college student standpoint in our venue, the character piece is often the overlooked piece and having, and, you know, part of our desire and our struggle yeah. is, is helping uh, students understand and know that character is way more important than competency. Right. Right. And yeah. so, so I'm, we're, we're trying to figure out part of our struggle is how do we develop the character, the godly character needed for young leaders like yourself to way surpass us. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, that's our objective. I think one of the, yeah. one of the conversations Rob and I have had a couple of times, we are, um, nearly 20 years removed from our undergraduate time here. And we've, we've made not, not physical lists, but we've kind of listed people who were in 
in the journey with us who are no longer in ministry for whatever purpose or reason. And, and I think the, the conversation is around this idea of character, um, that they had lots of courage early on, maybe, and even a calling, but somewhere along the line, that character burnout happened. Um, and we had, we had older men in our life grab us by the, the collar. Believe me, one of them sits across campus here yeah. and would, would tell you stories about some conversations we had. Yeah. What, what have you looked for or, or have they found you in some men to pour into you? Who's that been for you, Luke? I've got a few guys. Uh, there's a guy, uh, Sammy Lopez. He does some incredible work taking people to Israel every year. Um, and he's, he's in San Antonio. Uh, thankfully, I've got guys in Atlanta here, a guy named Jim Shepard, who runs a great organization called Generis that helps churches. Uh, and I, got, I just got, I mean, I've got guys from 60 to 45 to 30s, you know. I've got a few of them. Just because there are also different stages of life where I'm trying to go, uh, what are the chances that I can be like you at that stage? And what does that stage look like? Um, I think it's interesting, Rob, even hearing you talk, I just go, you know, it is hard to get across to kids, like how important character is and like, how do you instill that in people? But uh, I think one of the hard things, uh, a hard lesson to learn for these kids too is if you grab someone by the collar, uh, how do they respond to that? Like, do they just think that you're an idiot uh, and that you're just being too hard on them? Because, I mean, admittedly, uh, my generation is soft. Um, and I think uh, biblically speaking, I'd say Christ-centeredly, they're soft. They love sermons that are about them. Uh, like, where's the power in me versus is this sermon centered on Christ? And so they've been hearing their whole life about how great they are when someone jerks them around by the collar a little bit and is like, you got to change this about you. Um, they yeah. go into defensive mode or offended mode. Uh, and those people are just simply not ready to lead. Um, it's, they're just not ready to lead because they're not ready to follow. Um, I, the thing I've been really wrestling with lately is I'm like, there's such an oversaturation on the topic of like leadership, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, who's following? Uh, who's talking about following? Are we like, like, how do I lead outside of following? I can't. Um, one of the most disheartening things uh, in ministry so far, I've got a young circle of guys that we talk about this, but I just go, when I step into some churches and jobs and contracting situations, the question I've never been asked is, hey man, are you in the word enough? It's Ooh. always like, Hey, are you leading these people? Do you have these volunteers ready? Do you have this? Do you have that? And I'm just like, I've never once been asked like, Hey man, are you spending time in the word every morning with the Lord? Are you making sure you're doing that? Uh, and so I feel like we have to kind of get back to the basics uh, with these kids in order to develop character. They just want to lead. Uh, they're just right. like, where's the leadership position? And I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, have you ever read like the word of God all the way through? Do you know like parts of God or do you know all of who God is? Um, yeah. and obviously we're always discovering that and that's not just like a read through the Bible and you're going to have a firm grasp on it, but it's, uh, th there's a lot more that goes into character development than I think these, uh, younger potential leaders understand. Yeah, that's good. And I think, you know, if we could just kind of shift gears, uh, into the book, you know, your mess matters is, is the book that you wrote. And I think, um, from my understanding, and again, unfortunately, we didn't get the, the book in time to, to read it. Um, but anyway, the point is, just from my understanding, from what I've seen, uh, what I heard, Your Mess Matters really comes 
out of some of those conversations about, you know, how to handle your stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So what to do with your stuff and your stuff matters, right? So every experience that we have is a contributor towards the person and the character that we become. And I think this conversation you're having about uh, asking those different questions not hard questions, just different questions. Are you spending time in the word? Are you spending time in solitude with God? Are you praying? Are you, you know, are, are you doing some of the basic spiritual disciplines that create Christ-like character in your life? Your mess is actually one of those things. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. all of your experiences matter to God because all of your experiences lead to the development of the person that he is calling you to be. And all of those are redemptive. Yeah. Right? So, uh, in this book, kind of give us sort of the the thrust of the heart behind why you wrote it, where it came from, and uh, what you hope to kind of see come to fruition as a result. Yeah, so uh, for for me, a lot of you know the opening, I, I like to call it chapter zero, and uh, a lot of the focal points of the book, you know, came from me being sick. I was sick for six months with what ended up being a parasite, but nobody could figure it out for six months. So we were kind of in the dark on it. I lost 50 pounds, you know, look, I mean, I was, I was just emaciated, couldn't work, couldn't do anything. Um, and it was just, uh, you know, it was one of those things that I feel like God was strategically using for the long haul for me. And so it, the book's not about that necessarily, but it's one of those things where I try to open up my story initially. So people sure. feel uh, open to opening up their own story to others. And as I'm just reading the gospels and as I'm reading, uh, you know, everybody's story in, in the Bible, I'm just going, golly, man, like everybody wants to have great faith and, and, and do great things for the glory of God. But gosh, you have to go through some things, man. Uh, and at a young age, I, I had gone through a number of things that aren't necessarily as severe as, you know, I'm not here to compare like what you've been through with what I've been through. Like, I'm not going to compare, well, I lost my arm and you lost a finger. So mine's bigger than yours. And that's worse. You know, it's just like, it all hurts for us. However it hurts. And so, um, anyway, the whole idea behind the book is like, you know what? I've ran into so many people speaking at churches and events, Christians even that are like, I just don't, I mean, like, I felt like I wanted to do these great things for God. Like I had this, what I thought was a calling on my life and then X happened or I was doing this and then Y happened and I'm really struggling through Z. So there's no way that I can do what I feel like God called me to do way back at A. And I'm just like, you, like, if I asked you to articulate the gospel for me, you could, and you still feel this way. Um, you know, and so I was like, we really need to get into the ironically mess of, of what the gospel means and how that applies regardless of the difficult things we go through our life. Uh, not like despite them, but in spite of them. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a a journey, man, uh, to say the least, uh, all the different things that uh, I put in the book and that led into it becoming a thing. But honestly, it was that, that being sick, for six months that really became the foundation of, of what ended up becoming the book. Yeah. Awesome. Look, if you found, you, you said a lot of people have approached you with, with sort of their story and their mess. Um, and we talked a little bit about social media and you yeah. know, what's being called clout and those type of things um, and very filtered lives. Um, are you finding people are, 
are afraid to acknowledge their mess, like to even even say I, I am messy, and they're just yeah. sort of like, no, everything I got all together, and and they're almost afraid to acknowledge that there is a mess that God wants to use. Yeah, I, I would say yes, and I'd say the biggest thing right now is uh, we're just really like struggling with honesty. Um, mm. You know, I think even more than like jealousy or comparison, I feel like we're struggling with honesty because what's funny, and I'm guilty of this, is I will say something or I'll see somebody say something online about how, you know, my, I, not everything is perfect with me. Like my life is not perfect. Don't think my life is perfect. And I'm like, but, but everything that you post is like an attempt at perfect. So like, you're saying, you're saying that, but like, who cares, you know, like, um, so it's, it's difficult. I'm like, what, what is it you're struggling with then? Cause I've never heard yeah. it, but I think some people, um, we've done this backwards thing. And I'd say this is more like an Americanized thing where we're like, well, if I speak this thing out loud, it might become true of me. If I, if I tell you like the messes that I've been through, well, then I might be labeled by it by you. And I might even create that perception of myself, which will then become this inward reality that I start to believe. And I'm like, I don't know about that. Cause my Bible says that you bring things out into the open, into the light. And that's, that's where you're going to start to see some transformation happen. So it depends what your posture is with it. Um, if you fail to share certain things because you don't want to be known as those things, well, then you're failing to understand number one, what the Bible says about it and that God has a, there's a redemptive quality and work that God does in all of those things. Uh, and then also like, it's not like you're the only one with stuff, you know, I would say like, if you're that individual that's going out there up front and saying something, and we've all seen this in Bible studies. I literally was in a Bible study last night and some guy said, I'm really struggling um, with unforgiveness with my dad. And I'm like, well, before I'd been asking all these questions and had gotten no answers from anybody. But the second he opened up about that, some guy goes, Oh, my dad beat up my mom and I struggled with it forever. And then some other lady was like, I literally just forgave my uncle um, for the things that he did to me when I was a little girl. And I'm just like, do you see how like one act of boldness <laughs> changes a room, you know? Uh, yeah. So I just want to see a little more honesty. Uh, and so that's why in the very first portion of the book, I start talking about, I get really honest about a mess in my own life. You know, it's like I'm a pastor and someone who preaches and, you know, I know you guys didn't get to read it yet, but at some point, hopefully you will. I just jump in and start talking about how I have this anxiety laden meltdown on the floor less than a year into my marriage. And just my family has to come over, pick me up, get me right. And I've had all the responses. Some people have been like, thank you for sharing that. And some people are like, why, why are you struggling with that? If you're a pastor, you know, so it's, yeah. it's difficult. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I, I, the honesty piece, I think, um, especially we, we had a guy, we had a guy here yesterday for our chapel uh, and he talked about the comparison game quite a bit, right? And he used Peter, one of the great quotes or descriptions about Peter I've heard in a while and maybe it's new, maybe it's not new, but I'm going to steal it all the same. And he called, he said, Peter was both righteous and ratchet. Right, so, right, yeah. which, which there's there's a lot of truth to that, right? So, yeah, it's so easy for us to find in scripture 
the people that we can say, Oh, that's just like me. Like I'm jacked up like Peter, Peter, yeah. you know, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm messed up like, like Thomas, you know, I, I, I don't know whether I believe or some days I do some days I don't. Right. So we yeah. see the examples and the models. And I think they're in scripture for us to connect with, to correlate with, to empathize with or sympathize with or whatever. Sure. And yet at the same time, we feel so much pressure yeah. on the Insta life. For sure. Right? We yeah. feel so much pressure to, because I can, here's, here's what I think the fear is. And you can, you can feel free to kind of push back or whatever if, if you sure. disagree. I think the fear is if we're honest, we won't get the opportunities. For sure. No question. About I, it. You I, nailed I think, that. That's it. That's I, it. I think I think that's the heart of it. I think I think we're so afraid if we're honest with people, they're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, we were gonna yeah. have you speak, come preach at our church, but since you struggled with porn, yeah. right, we're probably not gonna invite you now." And, and maybe there is some truth to that. Yeah, there, there very well may be some there might be some things that are taken off the table. But then the question becomes, what's more important, right, the opportunity or the obedience? Sure, and. Two things to that. Uh, number one is I would say any church that did that, I don't want to come speak at your church. Uh, like, yeah. so that's okay. I, I don't want to come speak <laughs> at your church. Uh, because guess what? Uh, the apostle Paul couldn't come speak at your church. Um, yeah. So like, you know, and if he can't, I for sure can't. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, but here's the thing. That takes, and I'm not saying that I'm all the way there. There are certain things where if I knew that was a, like if I am honest about X, I won't be invited to Y. I might not say anything, you know, but I like to think that I've developed enough maturity and it takes maturity on uh, mm -hmm. our parts to be able to say th that opportunity is not more important than my personal obedience, which you just said so eloquently. And so yeah. there's that aspect of it. But then also, you know, I'm just like, we've seen what happens if you're not open and honest. Um, you can get all the opportunities and there's guys that aren't in ministry anymore because they never got open. They never got honest with anybody. And now they don't get invited to anything because they're not in ministry and they're repairing a broken marriage. Um, and yeah. that's their new ministry and calling because it was never a priority in the first place. It was never something that they saw as a personal uh, act and dedication to personal obedience and holiness in their life. And so it's like, you can't, this isn't about picking and choosing. This is about following again, you know, right. this is about yeah. following the whole Jesus. Um, and I don't want to be somebody that adds to the already problematic uh, situation that we're dealing with because of this Insta life. Uh, you know, I, I, I got issues with that. And until we get to a place where we're ready to be completely honest with ourselves and with other people, um, all we're doing is like living probably in secret lives and secret sins. Like the porn thing, it's fun. Like sure. I don't even, I don't even ask guys uh, if they struggle with porn. I just know that you do. Like if you're, if you, <laughs> it, it, like, I'm just honestly, um, yeah. I'll, and maybe, maybe you're someone that has been born sometime in the past 20 years and you for real have not ever struggled with porn. Congratulations. You are the craziest anomaly ever known to human existence. Um, and you're probably a liar. So like, <laughs> it's, you know, I just like, that's the thing. And I think, um, you know, we just, 
we we got to be real about it. Got to be honest about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I listen. The the, the the honesty conversation was not one we we intended to have, but I think it's a good one. Yeah. But I think it ties back into this this idea of your mess matters in the book. How do we get honest with ourselves? And and what do you, and, and again, I'm looking forward to the book and and what you have to say. How do we get sort of emotionally honest, uh, intellectually honest, spiritually honest enough to go? This thing that's been a mess in my life um, has significance to shape my my future. Has significance to shape who I am for the glory of God, for the goodness of God. Because sometimes we we want to settle in the mess, and we can't ever get to a heart shift to go. Hey, this is shaping something good for me or good out of me. So yeah. what, what would you say to that person that needs a, sort of a different framework for it? I think um, I'd number one say discipleship again is a great, is a great way to combat these things. But then number two, um, just kind of sticking on trend with young leaders, even guys that have um, prominent leader leadership positions or preach or whatever. Um, suggest taking something away and see how they respond. I always think if, if you freak out at the idea of something being subtracted from your life, then you think that it's adding way too much that Jesus can't add all by himself, that he already is the mm-hmm. fullness of your joy. Um, for instance, all these like people that are really loud about like, we got to be honest on social media and I'm not perfect. Don't look at my life as perfect. But as you're posting all these perfect things, like for me, I haven't posted online in like 10 days. Cause I I've reduced my time on social media to like 45 minutes a day. Um, just cause I need that for, for these past 10 days. I've said for 10 days, I need to do this. Um, and it's funny though, like it's because I felt myself feeling like I needed to be on there in order to be something. And I was like, I can't do that. But if you yeah. go to some of these guys that post these things and are like, Hey, like you, I'm not perfect. Like you don't have to be either go to them as a leader above them and say, Hey man, um, I really feel like you should be off of Instagram for a month. And if they're like, dude, no, I can't do that. I was, it's like, you're the things, the things that bother you the most are the things that you probably need to let go of a little bit. They're the sins that are, you're struggling with more than anything else. You can't let that just stay there. Um, It's, it's a real issue. Uh, And I think, again, it's a good way to find out. It's a good way to make other people get honest with themselves. Hey, I don't struggle with the idea of being perfect and you don't need to either. Great. Since you don't struggle with it at all, why don't you stay off Instagram for a month since it's not a struggle for you? Well, I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, I got to do this, that, and the other. I, you know, it's just like, well, you, you don't care, right? Like it's not a struggle for you. Well, clearly it is a struggle for you because your idea is my perception's got to be out there. Um, and so even I live with uh, my wife who's really great at keeping me honest, you know? So if you don't have the, if you don't have the fortune and misfortune of having someone that's all in your business all the time for better or for worse in sickness and in health, you know, um, get people around you that have access to your life. Um, there's no way to be honest with yourself uh, unless you have other people that are willing to challenge you intellectually. I'd say even theologically, uh, spiritually, all those things. Like you got to have people that'll say it. Cause we don't like being honest with ourselves. Like I don't wake up every morning and just sit on the edge of my bed and say, Lord, thank you for this morning. Um, what do I need to really examine about my own heart before I get rolling? Like, I don't want to do that. It's not fun. 
But if people see things in me and they know they have access to my life in a way where they can call those things out, if I'm showing my character is flawed really significantly in one way or another, they'll call me. They know they can and call things out yeah. to me. That's good. That's good. These are interesting conversations because ultimately I think, you know, and like I said, all, all of us, including you, Luke, have a pastor's heart, right? We, we've all pastored churches, been in pastoral mm -hmm. ministry. For sure. Um, you know, one of our, one of our great concerns and, you know, Barna, you know, recently released their study this year on how many uh, Gen Z are, are leaving the church and what the anticipated trends are. And those are all important metrics and, and Mark and David, they've done an incredible job writing, you know, uh, Faith for Exiles, another great book. But yeah, um, I, I think the question is, uh, how do we stem the tide then of helping Gen Z slash millennials really understand the power and the virtue of church? Could be one. Yeah, that the church they see is not the church they need. That's a different conversation for sure. But if you want to, if you want to, if you want to see change in the church, then the best way to do it is actually engage with it. Yes. So, so our heart is to see Gen Z millennials actually begin to uh, insert and enforce their ideas and their creativity and their passion mm -hmm. and their mess into the church so that it can become something that is actually helpful and beneficial in the community, which I believe Christ has called us to. So how, how do you kind of see that playing out in your world? Uh, two things. And again, I'm harping on discipleship, but I just, I think it's the answer right now. Conferences and all that stuff, they don't have the same sexiness that they used to uh, with this next generation. Uh, the thing that I'm seeing, Carrie Newoff is doing this exceptionally well. And uh, I had the privilege of having a conversation with him about a month ago about this, but you're, you need to bring these people into the fold. Like the thing is people act like the next generation is millennials. Uh, we're here. We've been here. It's over. Like Gen Z's up, yeah. like they're in college. Uh, like everybody right. in your colleges is Gen Z. They're getting jobs next year. Uh, some of them have jobs. I think 24 right. or something, 23 is the cutoff. So my thing is, bring those individuals into your churches and give them a voice. If they don't have a voice, they're not going to stay. Um, mm -hmm. That's just the bottom line. That's, and that's not just a, this generation's entitled thing. I don't fault a generation for wanting to have a voice. Every generation that's ever been 25 wants to have a voice. But if you're that's both true. committed to discipleship, then you understand that there's give and take here. You have a voice, but your voice is not the end all be all. Like you have, you have an opportunity to preach, but you're not going to be up there every week. Uh, you have an opportunity to lead, but you also have like people that are older than you that you got to submit to because they've been doing this longer. And then at the same time, uh, especially things that Carrie is saying that he's experiencing is younger individuals are changing the way that these older generations, these chronologically superior people are thinking, right? You know, they're making them go, okay, maybe we do need to change this. Maybe it's time. Our congregation is going to die in the next 20 years if we don't switch this up. Um, so I think a lot of Gen Z is leaving uh, because a lot of them have been said, we don't, you don't have anything to say. It's not your turn. It's not this, it's not that. And I'm like, you know, I want to bring everybody into the fold under the right stages of leadership and, and 
church model, but that really requires relational equity that can truly only be found in discipleship for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, that that's where we are right now. Uh, that, that would be my answer. Yeah. No, that, that echoes um, a friend of ours we had on the show uh, in the fall, Ellie Bonilla yeah. was talking oh, he's a very great. similar thing. Uh, just about with him. Us. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. space and voice uh and, and the need for for a generation to have voice i remember ellie talking about that and 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 that this generation the older generation has to start to give them some space and some power uh to step into because that's what they want now now on the same conversation he's he's talking about the same idea of discipleship they have to have guidance and leadership to use that authority, use that power, use that voice appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, Luke, what you're, what you're saying is echoing things we've been hearing around these same questions off and on. Yeah. Um, was in, And I know you, you had something in Atlanta called the alternative. Was that, am I right on that? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Was that the heart behind the alternative? Was it, a, was it a discipleship model or was it just a gathering? Because you keep saying discipleship. So, so your heart is bleeding young people. Your heart's bleeding discipleship. Um, was that sort of the heart behind that? Yeah. Well, so with that, the alternative was more like, you know, especially at that time, it was like a lot of people are like leaving the church. Let's put together these worship nights led by us who are young people, which we know is going to attract young people. And then let's really push them into local churches. So, and then from there, the local church can do what it's designed to do. And like, uh, unfortunately, some of those are going to be great experiences for young people. And some of them are going to have not so great experiences. And again, like that's a whole conversation, but we really just wanted to create this environment where we could push the agenda that we felt like God was calling us to push, which was to push his people into the local church uh, and also like have it be fun and loud and obnoxious and things that you may be, you know, there are churches that obviously they do like a traditional and a contemporary and a traditional and a whatever. And we were like, Hey, this is full on contemporary. You're going to like it. Sure. We'll play Kanye's new album, all that kind of stuff that they want to have that make us relevant and fun. Uh, And we're like, Hey, all this is great. But ultimately like, if you're not plugged into a local church, uh, you know, Christ didn't die for a 501c3 nonprofit. He died for the right. church. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to be shocked if you could get, tell me the name of the strongest nonprofit 501c3, you know, and I'd be like, if that's gone in a year, I'm not shocked uh, because Christ did not die for it, but nothing's prevailing against the church. You got to get plugged in to a local church. Yeah. So that was the heart behind that. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, that's, that's redeeming to hear. I think yeah. in a world where things are starting all the time and they they have that sort of, um, I, I don't really know how to start. It's a gathering, but not really the church. Like nobody yeah. wants to call it a church. We're, just, we're kind of hanging out at this gathering. We kind of like Jesus, but it's 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 encouraging as, as someone of, of our age, Rob, <laughs> to hear <laughs> someone younger believe that the church is still the vehicle that we win by. And, yeah. and the 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 vehicle that the gospel gets carried out in. Um, so what what for you, Luke, is is driving that to to really? And, and maybe it comes back to the question we asked earlier. What is what is what are we, can we do, really, to keep young people engaged in the church? Because it's it's not the music, it's not the smoke and the lights, it's not any of those things, but, but how do we keep them engaged in, in the process of church? 
I think a lot of what we're talking about here, you know, is you can give them a voice, you can do all those things, but to, I think one thing that I would say to that, to piggyback off of some other things that'll make this maybe go a little bit deeper is like, you can't only give them a voice. You've got to give them something meaningful enough where if they fail, it's going to mess you guys up a little bit. Um, if you, if you are, we know the local church is the vehicle through which that Christ is going to make sure that all of his work is done, that he's obviously, we've got Holy spirit filled people that, and he's going to do his work through that. But for these young people, um, I think pressure, there's something about it being on you and pressure where you start to also realize you're engaged because if you're not other people suffer as a result of you not coming through, not, not in a big way, but it's like, Hey, um, you need to do announcements. And if you fail to like mention this thing, like you really need to mention this thing, because if you don't, it's going to be a, it's just going to be like putting fires out back here, you know, or, you know, you got whatever it is. That's just a weak example. But I think when you give young people an opportunity to where if they succeed, it takes the church further, or if they fail, it hurts a little bit. That also gives them an idea of this means a lot and it'll give them a reason to seek out help more. They will want Mm -hmm. to go and find people that are older that have done this to be like, how do I do this? Am I doing it right? Are there things you see in me that I need to change in order to make sure that this goes well? Um, And if they have a understanding of that, that holy pressure, I'd call it, Um, then they will stay engaged in what they're supposed to be doing, um, not only for the church they're at currently, but I think for churches for the rest of their life. Some of them are going to feel a burden to plant churches as a result Mm. of having responsibility in the church. Um, And I think, I want to say, Rob, you mentioned church revitalization at one point uh, in, in this conversation. And I think like that, that's going to be a big thing in this next generation that's coming. Like, Hey, guys, like we could get into financial literacy and all that stuff, but it's like, you don't need to go put the coolest building together you've ever seen and put us 5 million bucks in debt. You need to go scrape some pennies together. You and your friends get a leadership team, go and get that building. That's free that nobody's in anymore. And let's get this thing back up and rolling. Um, this is only going to get harder. Um, you know, as time goes on, um, young Christian leaders and Christian leadership doesn't get easier. We re- we've read the end of the story. That's how this goes. It gets harder. Um, and so when we can identify those leaders that we feel like we can put pressure on that are going to either rise to the occasion or they're going to fall by the wayside, give them the opportunity. Let's identify them and let's put them in positions to where they can really succeed. Uh, because the future of the church, it's not dependent on them. Uh, but it needs young leaders that can rise to the occasion. Agree. I, I love I love what you said there because um, I, I do a lot of consulting out outside of here in different churches, different stages of churches, multi-site churches, whatever. Um, but one of the things I talk about a lot in those churches is the art of significance, mm. and it's assigning and defining significance to the roles that people play within the church. And if you can help them f- discover that significance, and I think this conversation about how we keep Gen Z others mm-hmm. at all in, in the local church is help them to understand the significance of the yeah. local church, help them understand the significance of their place in the local church. So yes, giving them a voice, yes, giving them some responsibility, 
but also helping them genuinely understand the kingdom principles behind what they do and why they do it. You know, if you want to use some Simon Sinek language there, you, yeah. you absolutely could. But the point is, everything we do matters. Why? Because the Bible says so. Yeah. Every part matters. Every part of the body matters. And I think when we learn the art of assigning significance, uh, when they understand that a simple handshake or a smile in the parking lot or a really uh, enthusiastic welcome as a greeter, which we like to kind of chuck young people into, even youth yeah. groups or whatever, yeah, it has genuine significance because what if their enthusiasm or their smile or the handshake is the only one that person gets yeah. throughout the rest of their week? Yeah. Right. So when we help them understand sort of the the Christological, bibliological sort of foundations behind those things, mm -hmm. it assigns significance. And I think if I yeah. could use a word, and I've said this before, but if I could use a word to really describe the heart pangs of of this generation, is they they desire significance. Yes. And, and we, sure. if there's anything that can give that give them significance, it's the local church. Yeah, it's the body it of Christ. I mean, the local church right? should. Yeah, I mean, we should. Yeah. First in line. Should. Yeah. But I, I think I think you were really tapping into something there that's critical, and it's a conversation that we need to have over and over and over again. It's not just hey, you're important. We want you here. You matter. We love to hear your opinions. You got great creative ideas, and that all those things are essential. But what about significance? What about right. the mm -hmm. kingdom significance of their presence, of their calling? of their leadership, of their ministry, of their experiences that matter to our communities. I, I think I'll go one some, step further. I think I think significance of identity. Significance I mean, of we, identity, yeah. We we talked yeah. to Sean Floyd from Bethel and he was talking about this whole loss of identity of a generation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I think even significance of of being able to sow into them that they are sons and daughters of God. Because yeah. there's a loss of identity among a generation. So significance is, is tied to identity of who you, who you think you are. Yeah. Um, so I think those two things could run parallel on partnership that, that if we can help them begin to self-identify and, and help give them significance in the body, mm -hmm. I, I think we wouldn't even have this conversation. I think they would be, be coming in droves to the church. We wouldn't be ever have the, are they ever going to come back conversation because they wouldn't be leaving. Yeah. Um, if we can help them find their identity in Christ and have significance in the body, which is very biblical on both sides, yeah. I, I think this conversation is tapered off. I mean, yeah. sure. it all comes back down to discipleship, discipleship. Yeah. Luke. Yeah, well, <laughs> and redefining significance, man. Like, you know, that's kids want significance, but, and they think they are moving towards significance when they build an online platform or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. And I'm like, you know, some of us need to just go take a dose of the book of reality of Ecclesiastes and just, <laughs> you know, um, nothing new under the sun. Everything's a vapor, a mist, like get over yourself, um, you know, because and that's the thing. If you do find your identity in in Christ, which that's a whole conversation, too, is like. Uh, a lot of people would say they find their identity in Christ, mm -hmm. but they don't, they don't want to be a part of the local church. Mm -hmm. And my yeah. thing is like for young people, my thing to them too would be, be, you know, cause I hear so many young people, well, my church sucks or my church. I don't like any of the churches in my area. And I'm like, you need to be really careful with how you talk about the local church. Uh, I'm married. I'm sure you guys are. I know plenty of people that are married and I'll tell you one thing. 
the most chill dude you've ever met in your life, you start talking smack about his bride and, and he's, he's going to have an issue with you. Uh, so you better be very careful about the way that you talk about Christ's bride. Uh, and if you're not doing anything to help the situation, uh, all you're doing is talking. Uh, and, yeah. and you're going to learn some lessons the hard yeah. way. If you had an offering basket right now, put a bunch of money in it. Because, <laughs> because well, that's the, great. The, the, uh, I mean, my Venmo is now. <laughs> cash app oh, yeah. right now. Yeah. That is this generation. Yeah. I can cash app you right now. Rem- right now I met right my now. wife on Twitter. Don't mess with me, man. Like. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I love that conversation because we, I have such a high ecclesiology because I still believe that the local church is the answer for yeah. the issues, the problems that we face in our communities, individually as well as as, as generally, right? I think yeah. I'm not saying that that we're we're bad or wrong. I, I just again, it maybe goes back to that that point I made earlier. I don't know that us as individuals are living up to the fullest extent of what God has called us to do, and I certainly know that we aren't corporately living up to the yeah. fullest extent of what God has called us to do because it's in the Bible. Right. Yeah. So, so I think, I think what we, you know, we have so much work to do. We have so much, so many conversations to have. I mean, maybe this is a, a podcast part two conversation with you. We talk about ecclesiology and the, the love of the local church and all these things. We might need to, man. We need to get him in studio and get some pour overs. Yeah, yeah. You have to come for some pour overs for that. Yeah. Right? Tell, yeah. I'll tell somebody, tell Noah I'm staying at his house. Somebody let him know. <laughs> we can that up. Not a problem. <laughs> I'll bring, I could force Noah to make that happen. Yeah, well, yeah. L- we'll Lindsay, and, Lindsay and Maddie are friends too. So we might just have to make it happen. So and yeah. come through, talk about this. This is a whole conversation, man. Yeah, yeah. Even That's if we awesome. don't record it, it's one I think we'd like to continue. Yeah. So let, let me hit you with one more question. We ask this of every guest on the show, Luke. Yeah. Um, we are based here at the University, Lee University on the campus, and you can see it in the background now. We changed our studio setup for those that will watch the YouTube. Um, but what is one lesson you learned in college that didn't take place in the classroom? Woohoo. Oh, man. I would say um, that you are going to go as far in life as the relationships are going to take you. Uh, you know, I, you can study, 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 learn, learn, learn. But if you are horrible with relationships in your life, whether that's a dating relationship, a friendship, uh, I'm not saying everything has to go perfect, but uh, you're just going to continually be frustrated by people that, man, I got a way better grades. I was way more qualified. And it's, it's not that they just knew someone that could get them that position, but it's that maybe they were more trusted uh, in different circles in order to have that position. Yeah. So uh, college really taught me the value of relationships just through conversations that I had with individuals way outside of the classroom. So that's, that's what I yeah. would say. That's so, nearly a verbatim quote from Rebecca Lyons last week on the show. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. really? That, that's, yeah. that's, that's, yeah. That's good. That's now, good. Now, that's Kevin good Queen taught us how to penny somebody in. Do you know how to penny somebody in? No. So, so he told us this, and then so you have, if you go back and listen to episode one, but but I this used to happen happen to me actually. So in your college dorm room, if you push the door in and shove pennies in the crack of the door frame, it creates a locking mechanism where you can't open it with the handle. You that never no happened to you? That's called way. pennying someone in. That's, that's amazing. That must be a Gen Z thing. Yeah. Well, we'll get Ke- you do know Kevin? 
No, I don't, but I need to. He's, he's at Cross Point. He was yeah, at 12 do, Stones there. Yeah, I do know uh, Annie Downs goes to his church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. yes, yes. I, yeah, I've so seen we'll, get, we'll get Kevin maybe down there to teach you how to penny somebody in. So. <laughs> hey, I'm free. Let it, Tell him to come through anytime. Well, Luke, how can we stay connected to you, man? Uh, you know, just as we've been talking about how we can be so self-centered and stuff, everybody follow me, uh, at Luke Lazan, uh, <laughs> <laughs> shameless, yeah, shameless uh, plug. Yeah. No, Apparently Twitter's uh, where he's at. Cause he met his wife there. So yeah. Hey, well, uh, and so I'm off the market, you know, uh, she, she's, she's not letting me take any more calls anymore. You know how it is. So <laughs> she, uh, but yeah, everything is just at Luke was on. That's the benefits of a last name and check my book out on Amazon if you want to, or it'll be at Barnes and Noble, uh, wherever books are sold, really, you should be able to find it. And so that's the best way to stay awesome. connected with me. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks Luke so much for being on the show. And as we like to say here at the collective scope podcast, you've always got a seat at the table, bro. Thanks Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Collections Code Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders? 